continue as we look at today's text. It's in Romans chapter 15. Uh, I'd ask you if you would bow your heads and pray with me as we begin. Almighty God, we thank you for your word that you have provided this word for us and it has endured for centuries, that you promise that it will continue, but your word will never pass away. Father, we thank you and ask you this morning that you would teach us by that word, that you would truly allow us to see you in a fuller light this morning. And as we understand you more, that Father, you would give us the wisdom and the discernment to understand who we are and your plans for us. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight, our God, our rock, our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you have your Bibles. Hopefully, you're starting to get into that habit of bringing your Bibles, uh, your paper Bible, that analog version that I think Phil names it, or if you've got uh, your phone, I'd ask you to open it up and turn to the 15th chapter of Paul's letter to the Church of Rome. And I think one of the things that we have to remember, and I think we get lost in, is the fact that Paul wrote this as a letter. It was a letter that he wrote to the church at Rome, but you know, what we've done with this letter is we've put chapter markers on it, and we've put verses in this letter, and then we take two months or two years to preach through this letter. When Paul intended for this letter to be read like a letter and sat down and read at one sitting, Right? If, if you wrote somebody a letter, and you wrote them and you called them and said, hey, did you get my letter? And they said, yeah, I did. I'm on the second paragraph, and it's really good. And they're like, I sent, you said, I sent you that letter six months ago. And yeah, I know, but you know, it's really deep, and I want to make sure I understand every word, and it's just, it means a lot. So I want to spend a lot of time with it. And we forget that it's meant to be read in one setting. I mean, You'd think they're a little bit weird if they took that much time to do that, right? And they might think you're a little bit weird in writing a letter because who writes letters today? You know, say it in 140 characters. I'm busy. But Paul takes great pain. He writes this long letter, but he wrote it 2,000 years ago. And so it's good for us to understand what he meant and the context in which he wrote it. But one of the things that we can see in this church at Rome is they share a lot of things in common with the church today a culture and a society that's very similar to the one that we find ourselves in today. So we take some time and we go through the letter, but we always must remember it's a letter. And we should take time now and then and read the whole thing in one sitting so we can get a fuller perspective of what Paul is saying because he gives us, as some say, the pinnacle of his theology is the letter to the church at Rome. He shares with us about what God has done in creation and in history and how he has made a way for us back to himself, how he has provided his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, a problem that all of us share together equally, and that he has declared us righteous by his grace, by his mercy, through the sacrifice of his son, we stand righteous, we stand justified before God. And as that holy people, he's called us to live as that people in this world differently. And so as we understand that theology, we must also understand that he wrote this to a people, to a church. It's not just this academic exercise that we do when we study it. It's to understand it was meant to be used in our lives day to day. It was to affect the way we live and the way we breathe and the way we treat one another. 
And that's what Paul's saying here today in chapter 15. After he's given us these other, what we call chapters, this other segment of the letter, he's saying, now as a body, as a corporate group of people, here's how you should treat one another. Here's how you should live. Paul's saying to us, this is what the church of God looks like in Rome. This is what God intended the church to be, a place that's different, a place that's holy, a place where people can experience the gospel and we can live out the gospel person to person, sharing the good news and the love and the acceptance of God one-on-one. All the way back at the beginning of this letter, here's what Paul says. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You are loved by God, but you are called to be holy, set apart, different. The church is to be a place and a people that's different than the culture. Because our culture, our world, our communities, our cities need a people and a place like the church. Because God is the God of hope, and God exists in the church. And he's called us as a people to treat one another with love and respect and to accept one another, to be that holy place where we can find refuge because our world needs it. We need it. That's what Paul's dream is for the church. And today he tells us what that is. If Paul were sitting here today, I think this is what he'd say. You've read the rest of the letter. Here's where I'm headed. This is what I want for all of you. This is what I want for the church wherever it's gathered to be. So turn with me to Romans 15. I'm going to start in verse 4. Those first three verses are really a, a reminder of what we were taught last week in that chapter 14 where Paul says that we should bear with one another. There are the weak and strong in faith, but we should not, those who are strong, use our freedom to cause our brothers to stumble. But now he's saying we are. He understands there are still weak and strong, but those things shouldn't divide us. We should be united. We should not allow anything to divide us. And so he starts in verse 4. For everything that was written in the past, written about Jesus, was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Everything that has been written, everything that God is about, is about giving you the endurance and the encouragement that you need to live out the life that Jesus himself lived. When you read that text, you see a couple of words repeated, that word encouragement, that word endurance. And when you read that, when I study that, I, I, I'm left with this impression that this work that he's called us to is going to be a long work. It's going to be a long road. It's not just something that's going to happen overnight. It's something that as we live in this world, a world that does not live under the reign of Jesus Christ, we are going to be challenged because we live in that world. We're going to experience times in our lives where it's going to be a challenge, where it's going to be hard to understand the hope that we have. But Paul prays for us and he says, May... 
they experience, the God who gives endurance and encouragement, give you the same attitude and mind toward each other. Our God is a God of endurance and encouragement because all that has been written, the scriptures have endured from the time that they have been spoken. They have been kept for us, for our encouragement. We serve a God of endurance who has endured our rebellion, our sinful nature from the time that we were created. He's endured with us. But the whole time, he continues to encourage us, to remind us that he loves us. And the scriptures were written for that purpose. We serve a God of endurance and a God of encouragement, and he gives us his word, but he also gives us prayer that we may pray for one another, that we could experience the encouragement and the endurance that God needs, that we need from him to live this life, to be a people of hope, to be a refuge that we can experience and be reminded because he also gives us the church. He gives us one another so that we can come alongside one another and encourage one another because sometimes we're in the middle of a long work. Maybe we've been suffering alongside a relative or a friend who's enduring a sickness or an illness or a loss, and it just seems like as you care for them that this is going to be your lot in life the rest of your life, and it's never going to end. Or maybe you're going through something right now and it just seems like that's just the way it's going to be. And we come alongside one another to remind each other that that's not the way it is. That there's never a time where God has forsaken you. There's never a time where God has left you alone. That he is always with you. And we, together, are that physical Jesus with skin on reminder that God has not forsaken us that we have a place where we can be reminded that he is a God of encouragement, he is a God of hope, and that we can pray to him, and he does hear and answer our prayers. Those of us that have been through those long roads can encourage others who are currently going through it. Those of you that are enduring those teenage years, wondering if they'll ever end, they will. Sometimes in their 30s, but sometimes it <laughs> takes a long work, and we need a lot of encouragement. Because God can provide the endurance to see ourselves through that. That's what the church is about, to care for one another, to be reminded of God's love, to be encouraged by his truth and by his word. And Paul goes on to say, so, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, we should be of one voice, we should be of one mind, but there are these divisions, there are these differences that we have. Paul's writing to a church in Rome that had these divisions throughout its society by gender, by class, by uh, politics. There are differences. But he's saying those differences shouldn't make a difference in how we worship with one voice. We can come together, different people, different races, different genders, and we can worship the one God, the one God who unites us all. We can, with one voice, as one people, declare his holiness, 
be united under the fact that he alone is holy. And if it were not for the fact that he saved us, the fact that he has mercy on us, we're no different in that regard. We all need his love, his grace. Nothing different. But that's a challenge in our culture, isn't it? Because we've become this culture that is more and more polarized. Because we are different than you, and my group, my people group, has the answer that yours doesn't. Look at politics, look at any kind of program on the radio. They're wanting to divide you and pointing the finger of blame. It's your fault. If you just didn't have these views, if you had these closed-minded views, that's the reason we're in this predicament. And so we love to play the blame game. You know, that, that's just true of our nature. Go all the way back into the beginning. Genesis 3, just three chapters into the Bible. You see, when the serpent comes and man falls and God shows up, what, is, what does Eve do? Well, it's the serpent's fault. It's his fault. And then he looks to Adam and Adam says, don't look at me, it's the woman you gave me. Right? And all of a sudden he's forgotten her name, but it's her fault. But his word reminds us that he has already come, that he's a God of endurance and encouragement, and he's calling us to live differently, to stop the blame game, because Paul has told us as we've read his letter, and Jesus has told us as we've studied his parables, that he does not define us by good or bad, but lost or found. We want to put the title as good or bad because we can then have this continuum, right? I'm not as good as that guy, but I'm certainly better than him. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not what Paul says. There is no continuum. There's Jesus and everybody else. Only God himself is good. You're either lost or you're found. And Jesus says all of heaven rejoices when one is found. There is no degree of lostness. You're either lost or you're found. Unless you're a guy, then you're never lost. There's just, just kind of lost. <laughs> but you're either lost or you're found. And it's by the grace of God that we have been found. And so with one voice, as one people, we proclaim his mercy, his grace, his glory. Because we can say together with one voice, if it were not for him, we would be lost. We would be lost. And so we have been found, and so we unite together here weekly and in our small groups to proclaim that fact with one voice that is by the grace of God that we have been found. And we can do that with our differences, following different political parties, different races, different genders. We can unite under the one person that's Jesus Christ and proclaim his goodness, his glory. And then Paul goes on in the next, eight verse, or the next five verses to say, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with, the, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all of you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up 
one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. Paul says that everything that Jesus has done, everything that God has been about, is to bring about the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the saving mercy of his Son. And that he came, Jesus himself came to be a servant of the Jews so that you and I could be grafted in to the vine. So that the Gentiles, you and I, could be saved. That's what Jesus was about, about being a servant to his Father so that we could experience the love of God amongst his people. And that's what he's been about since the very beginning. And so he quotes from Isaiah, and he quotes from the Psalms, and he quotes from Isaiah again to say, we have been found. We have been found, and we are to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. We are not to forget that what Jesus has done for us and we sit there and we struggle and we say, well, how far does that go? Really, because you think about your human relationships and you go, how far should that go? I mean, it's easy sometimes, isn't it, to accept people that are guests or maybe that you've met for the very first time than the people that you've been in ministry with for 20 years? And you sit there and go, well, really, how far should I go? How far does God expect me to go? I mean, because people have hurt me. People have betrayed me. They've let me down, and I'm just not sure I can, I can accept them like Jesus. Flip that around. And think about Jesus saying, really? Again? I need to again offer acceptance and, and love to Tony? Really? Like he's been on my last nerve since before the creation of the world. But he tells us to accept one another as Christ accepted us. Thank be to God that he didn't do that. Despite my rebellion and my sinful nature, Jesus came and he declared, as Paul writes, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no difference. We all sin and have fallen short. And we're to accept one another as Paul says, as Christ has accepted us. And so we can have strength in faith. And there are those that are weak in faith. But if before Jesus, we all come as little children. We all come as little children sitting at his feet, experiencing his love, the true strength of God in Jesus Christ. And we come as little children, as he calls us to to be reminded that he accepted us while we were still sinners. And he calls us to see everyone around us through the cross of Jesus Christ. That would accept one another as he accepted us. That is what the world needs to hear. That we would be a people that would accept one another. Differences, sinful because that's what Jesus did for us. To be a place where people could experience the hope of Christ. The hope that he provided for long ago. And so as he reminds us in through the prophets that he's been about this work from the very beginning. 
and he reminds us today that's always been God's plan to bring about his son, the root of Jesse, to be our deliverer, our rescuer, our model for life with one another. But I want to draw your attention to verse 12 because this is what he's quoting from Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 10. Isaiah writes this, it says, In that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire, of his resting place shall be glorious. The root of Jesse, Jesus Christ, shall stand as a signal for all the people. People will see that within his church. And it's of him that nations will inquire. But do you notice what's different from this quotation than what Paul writes here? Paul says the root of Jesse will spring up. What does he omit in that day? Why does he omit that? Because today's that day. This prophecy has been fulfilled in their hearing in the church of Rome that day. He's saying that root, that person, Jesus Christ, has come. Today's the day that God has set for the Gentiles to hear that word. Today's the day for the world that we live in for our communities, for our world to know today's the day that Jesus Christ has come and that we serve a God of endurance and a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of hope. A God that is no longer counting the sins of the world against us. But he has made a way to reconcile the world unto himself. And he's calling us as a people to understand that that day is today. And how we treat one another, how we live with one another, how we accept one another and love one another strengthens us, encourages us, but it also signifies to the world that there's something different within us. And it's called hope. He concludes in verse 13 that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The God of hope seeks to fill each of us with joy and with peace, so that by the power of the Spirit we might abound in hope. That word abound is abundance. It means in excess, meaning that you would have more hope than you could use. That it would overflow out of you. So that as we gather as the body and those that gather with us that are oozing hope need to pour that hope and that peace and that joy into those that gather here this morning that are wondering where that's ever going to come from. That are in the middle of a long work. And right now, I have little hope and hear these words spoken, and they seem foreign. They seem hollow. Because maybe you haven't experienced that joy and hope from the body. And that's what Paul's saying. That's why we're here. So that those that are hurting can experience the true hope and love and peace of Jesus Christ. That's our role to one another, because we all live in this world. We all live in this world that's polarized, that's pointing our fingers at one another, that wants to say, that's the problem, you're the problem, she's the problem. We need a place and a people where we can experience the truth 
of the gospel, where we can live out this gospel truth one-on-one, person-to-person. That's why we gather here on the weekends. That's why we gather in small groups. That's why we do life together, not just to take your time, but to fill you up so that you know the endurance of God, the promises of God. If you're here this morning and you're in that place, there's hope. Share what's going on in your life with someone. Those of you that are abounding in hope, look for those that you can pour into. Don't let your little group that you meet on the weekends keep you from expanding that group and meeting new people because God has someone in store for you to pour that hope into because there's a whole world around us that needs that hope. We live, I think you'd agree, I think we live in an angry world. All you need to do is drive down the road for any length of time or stand in a line, go to the airport, go anywhere where there's people, and you'll see people angry and short-tempered And that's a sign that they lack hope. And we know the answer for that hope. It's Jesus. And so as we live with one another and as God pours into us and as we pour into one another, we abound in hope. And the people that we work alongside, that we go to school alongside, that we live next door to, that are going through the same things that we go through, look at us and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm experiencing the same thing you're experiencing. Tell me, why is it that you seem to have hope and I don't? And then we can do what Peter says. And when someone asks you the reason for the hope that you have, you can share that with them legitimately because you've truly experienced the love and the hope and the peace of Jesus Christ in the church. That's why Paul's written this letter. So that you would know the truth about God, the truth about yourself, but so that you would live out this truth in a world that so desperately, desperately needs to hear the truth. And that comes from a loving heart, from a caring heart that doesn't allow differences in skin color or politics or anything to divide us because we're united under the love of Jesus Christ and we live under his reign in a world that doesn't and he calls us to be that different people that would look different that would act different than the world around us that we would be a place of love and ministry for the world I read this quote earlier this week, and I think it's just perfect. It speaks to this. It says, the most powerful evangelistic tool in the world is not a program, a special service, a booklet, or a flashy presentation. It's a group of people who live what they say they believe, worshiping Jesus, loving each other, and caring for their community. In other words, a healthy church. And that's what Paul's telling us. This is what a healthy church looks like, where we worship with one voice, the one true God who has by his grace, found us. That we care for one another, that we minister to one another. We come alongside of one another to encourage and to be encouraged so that by his grace and his mercy, we would be a people abounding in hope. 
so that more and more people would come to know the hope and the reason for the hope that we have. And it begins right here. I want to encourage you, step out of your comfort zones. Care for one another. Experience the love and the grace that so many of us have experienced here in this body. If you're seeking after that, God has called you here for a purpose. And if you're here, God has called you that here for a purpose. So that the others around you here this morning can experience that truly. Because, as Paul says, today's the day. And it's an urgent call. Because every day is a day closer to Jesus coming again. And God's endurance at that day will end. But as long as it's today, saying live as that people for the world's sake and for your own. I pray that for us as a church, for God's people everywhere. Amen.